All right, greetings, friends. My name is Weston Akimura from BlockWorks Macro in Tokyo. Welcome to the Market Depth Podcast. We had a remarkable week in the world of major central banks and policies. Um, so four central banks, the U.S. Fed, the People's Bank of China, the European Central Bank, and the Bank of Japan, each going their own respective path. Um, and so the best way to view these is via currency markets because you can do so on a relative basis. So here are the four central banks and their currencies in various pairs against one another over the course of the week. So first, we have the Fed's hawkish pause in rates. And then a few hours later at China Market Open, we have the PBOC who does their third rate cut of the week with their one-year uh, MLF rate. And then we have the, later that same day, the ECB delivered a 25 basis point rate hike with a fairly hawkish Christine Lagarde press conference. Um, and from that, we get, you know, uh, not only a sharp move higher in the euro dollar rate via euro strength, but also the euro strength crushes USD. And you could see the sharp downside in dollar yen and dollar yuan crosses off of the ECB and the euro move. And euro yen also does move higher indeed off the euro strength, but not so much because of yen weakness at that point. That comes here with the Bank of Japan, number four out of four for the week, um, as the Bank of Japan stays policy unchanged, dovish on yield curve control. And that's when you see just yen specific sell offs across the board. Bank of Japan's no change policy decision saw basically the sharpest market reactions amongst all of the preceding uh, major central banks, um, as you can see here. Okay, now the clear standout here is the euro yen across, which is just on fire. Um, with that very decisively hawkish ECB policy and rhetoric um, against basically just more of the same policy unchanged BOJ. Um, and it's not just from this week or this month, but Euro JPY is at a 2008 level high. Okay, that is pol that's markets expressing very clear policy divergences. Now, today, I want to focus on these two, the ECB and the Bank of Japan and their, I guess if you want to call it their interrelationship, so to speak, um, because two weeks ago, the ECB, in a rather rare and unorthodox move, the ECB, in its official financial stability review for May 2023, they specifically called out the Bank of Japan as a major risk to the Eurozone and the global bond markets should the Bank of Japan begin to normalize policy. Okay, or another way to read it would be the ECB is essentially relying on the Bank of Japan to remain in easing mode as the world's duration anchor and keep a lid on the global fixed income markets, which then allows for the ECB to be able to carry out its own hawkish policies without you know, compromising financial market stability. Um, or at least be more hawkish than they would otherwise be if not for the Bank of Japan holding the fort down, okay? Which is a crazy thing for the ECB or for any of the major central banks to do or say um, regarding another one of its peer major central banks, let alone to actually publish it in its financial stability report, particularly because the ECB itself is the one who is unwinding its own European bond holdings far more directly so. And yet another way to look at it would be my original big picture core thesis, which is that the Bank of Japan is essentially trapped in its own accord and that it is allowing for the other central banks, particularly those with heavy exposure to Japanese creditors, to be more hawkish with their respective rate policies 
than they otherwise would be. Okay, so first, let's just go over the Bank of Japan's June monetary policy meeting that just happened under Governor Ueda's second meeting as Bank of Japan governor. The BOJ left monetary policy as is, so minus 0.1% on the policy rate and plus minus zero plus minus 50 basis points range on yield curve control for 10-year JGBs. This was a unanimously passed vote and no fishy business unlike the last one, which if you recall, it was just riddled with like blatantly shady behavior. We had like two or three very, you know, blatant press tests of policy leaking, one of which was from the Nikkei news that came out on the day of, on the morning of the press release or the policy release. Basically, you know, the Nikkei had stated with dead-on accuracy what specific statements and measures would be coming out of the Bank of Japan later that day. So that was for the last meeting. But for this time around, same exact unanimous of no change in BOJ policy. The, po the policy statement was released, A, by the B Bank of Japan to the public and not via the press early. And B, it was released during the usual window of time, during like, you know, in between like a mar during the market lunch break. Okay. So once, which all that once again underscores the very blatant press leaking and like market observation tactic from the last time. Okay. Now, everyone will look at this June 2023 Bank of Japan meeting as just a big nothing. And understandably so, as nothing had changed or happened that was different from the past 50 plus BOJ meetings, with the exception of ones like December of 2022. But my personal take, this was indeed a very, very significant and very telling Bank of Japan meeting. So if you recall, on the eve of this Bank of Japan policy meeting, so just the other day, right, I had said uh, on this podcast that despite a near unanimous consensus view of no policy change, out of the June BOJ, I thought that there was a 50-50 chance for a yield curve control policy tweak. Okay, and I laid out the reasons why this particular meeting offered a very rare window of opportunity for which to do a potential yield curve control change if they were to, right? And my thinking was as follows. Okay, so basically it all just comes down to the, you know, this this notion that the Bank of Japan can only act on its own terms which is another way of saying the Bank of, Bank of Japan cannot and will not ever take policy action due to external pressures that are exerted upon it, be it market pressures or from other fellow central bank policy divergence pressures. Because if they ever do make a policy change under such circumstances, they would lose any last shred of credibility and policy efficacy immediately from that moment regardless of whether or not they're actually being influenced by these other forces or not, right? And so, for the Bank of Japan, the very nature of having to uphold this image of acting on its own independent accord, that limits its ability and its like opportunities to be able to make a move, right? Because they can only do so in under certain circumstances. But going into this June meeting, June 2023, the Bank of Japan had this very rare window of opportunity in which all the stars aligned in their favor to make a change if they so desired to, okay, for once. So let's just run through those reasons, okay? First of all, the Fed really did finally just pause its rate hiking, temporary or otherwise, and that gave this very rare chance for once in terms of optics of taking 
a normalization step independent of others, right, for the Bank of Japan to do. Okay, so that pressure was off. Then on the markets front, JGB yields, okay, so JGB yields are not bursting above yield curve control levels, um, allowing for change that doesn't look like giving into or, you know, being unable to battle markets. And the JGB yield curve has smoothened out, meaning no more of that, like, kink at the 10-year tenor that formed as a result of, you know, overly concentrated buying of specifically 10-year JGBs due to the Bank of Japan's very, you know, targeting of 10-year yields under yield curve control. And then note that this yield curve distortion was the reason for the Bank of Japan to have to, you know, shock lift yield curve control trading bands in December of 2022 because they thought that if they just moved that 25 basis point cap up to 50 basis points, then that would essentially smoothen out the yield curve, right? But as we and they now know, that resulted in an immediate backfire result um, as the basically the entire foreign community took that action as the beginning of the end of Bank of Japan's easing. And now the start of a new tightening cycle due to, you know, inflation finally hitting Japan. And despite that not actually being the reason why Japan actually moved yield curve control bans in December, it nonetheless kicked off a massive wave of record JGB selling across all tenors that shoved the entire JGB yield curve upwards. And the Bank of Japan found itself in the most intense battle against markets ever in January of 2023 relentlessly trying to pin down the 10-year yield at its new higher set upper limit and thereby making the yield curve kink even more pronounced and worse than it was before they had lifted their the upper band okay and so they certainly learned this lesson then which was don't don't ever do that again or if you're going to widen the yield curve control trading bands again never do so when yields are already pressed up against that upper limit um, and so going into this June Bank of Japan meeting, 10-year yields were not shoved up against the upper band ceiling. So there wasn't market pressure on JGBs. Then you also have market functionality returning, finally, right? It's on path of like repairing after several consecutive readings of sharp deterioration um, as the latest bond market survey um, conducted by the Bank of Japan showed its first upturn. Okay, and this too was the other factor that the Bank of Japan was, you know, attempting to fix with their December shock yield curve control change. Um, and this too had backfired upon their failed remedy as bond market functionality got got even worse than it did before that. Um, but now, again. In the latest survey heading into this June meeting, functionality is finally flipping to trend, you know, towards an improvement as opposed to like a continued even sharper deterioration that would essentially restrict any attempt to, to do any further change. Okay. So JGB market looks good um, and looks ripe for if they want to make a change. On the currency front, so dollar yen is back above 140 going into the meeting and now that basically makes dollar yen just single digits away from where 
the Ministry of Finance officials felt the need to unilaterally intervene, you know, directly in currency markets twice last year. Okay, they had to do it once in September, and then once in a second time in October. And that second time in October, that put the high in dollar yen, as well as putting the top in ten-year U.S. Treasury yields, which thereby not only did the Japan Ministry of Finance cap runaway dollar, but it also capped yield spreads between treasuries and JGBs. Now, note that the yen itself isn't the Bank of Japan's quote-unquote problem or market pressure because FX, foreign exchanges, the Ministry of Finance's remit. It's not the Bank of Japan. Okay? Hence, Governor Kuroda in 2022 sacrificing the yen to cap JGB yields at its hard upper limit. But under current market conditions going into June Bank of Japan in 2023, as I mentioned, the current market conditions are such that JGB yields aren't being battled with, but the yen has shot back up to these levels at a, at a rapid you know, pace and velocity that previously led to Japan having to take you know, G7 protocol-breaking unilateral intervention directly into currency markets. So a yield curve control shift would immediately alleviate that, and it would see a very sharp yen strengthening move and just alleviate that whole issue if they did that then, okay? And then there's the Japan equity markets, meteoric rise as of late, which is a new factor in this yield curve control policy for them to be cognizant of, okay? But the way I see this equity market rally is there's two points with regards to making any monetary policy change. Number one, the enormous nonstop bull market in Japan equities is currently happening despite or alongside expectations of a consensus yield curve control change to occur at some point in 2023. In other words, all the foreign inflows that are going long Japan equities, they also have a consensus view that the BOJ is going to, you know, attempt to normalize policy or, you know, get rid of yield, yield curve control in 2023. Okay, and they're still going long Japan equities, either because they don't care or perhaps they're going long because of that reason. And the second thing is that if a yield curve control change by the Bank of Japan does kill this like upward surge in the stock market, then Governor Ueda can just spin it as having prevented another Japan 1989 runaway asset bubble disaster from happening again. And that he did the responsible thing by taking short-term pain for long-term stability, right? I said on Twitter that he could be deemed as like a modern-day Japanese Paul Volcker of sorts in that respect, right? Um, and thereby differentiate himself from Governor Kuroda by doing so, right? And then, of course, we have the, all the CPI readings. Japan's CPI is well above its 2% target. It's been for like, what, like a year now by all metrics. Headline... Core and core core CPI. According to the Bank of Japan, they have yet to even achieve the 2% target. And thus, will they will continue easing until that 2% target is met. Now, this might seem baffling to some of you that they're talking about, you know, not yet achieving 2% CPI with 12 straight readings of CPI well above 2%. But what they mean when they say that they have yet to, you know, achieve their inflation goal is that it needs to be sustained consumer-driven inflation 
above 2% and on the back of wage inflation, okay, i.e. there needs to be organic Japan internally originated inflation and not just like CPI readings that are simply happening alongside global inflation for which Japan is getting swept up in, um, let alone lagging its peers in. So throughout this whole global route of inflation over the last one to two years, the CPI factor is only determining BOJ's actions in that inflation is what they're still actively trying to achieve and not something that they're trying to battle against as per every other economy at their respective central bank globally. But nonetheless, a change to yield curve control at this point could easily be spun into a positive, you know, so-called achievement of their intended objectives now now becoming realized, right? BOJ finally can take like a W against the decades of persistent deflation with a policy tweak. All right. And then finally, this guy, Deputy Governor Uchida, who is the former executive director of monetary affairs. He is the policy designer. He is the policy operator, including that of yield curve control. He's been the actual, you know, general in the trenches hurling grenades at hedge funds, right? And further cementing the Bank of Japan widowmaker reputation. Like he is like actually the widowmaker just, you know, as a sniper, just picking hedge funds off one by one. So he knows the hands-on mechanics of markets and policy more more than anyone. And according to Deputy Governor Uchida, any yield curve control change by nature must be done by surprise and it cannot be guided for. And I would agree with him. And so that's a perfect setup for an incredibly rare opportunity as they've ever gotten. And who knows if they'll ever get another such setup ever again going forward to make a change that's optically in their favor and on their own accord, right? But they didn't act. They maintained. And that, to me, is very telling of the broader framework and mindset and objective of Bank Japan. Because if not now, under all of these conditions for the perfect window to do so, if not now, then when? Well, perhaps what we learned at this meeting is that the answer may very well be never. And by never, I mean not, like no actual material change in policy for the next several years or, or longer going forward, right? I don't mean like forever into eternity. But my takeaway from this meeting was that this was absolutely not a nothing meeting. Rather, this was a very significant one. It signaled to me that the Bank of Japan's like policy unchanged is no longer a meeting-to-meeting like genuine assessment, but rather policy on change is becoming unconditional. You know, if you're not going to do it under these conditions, and these are at the opposite spectrum of previously prevailing conditions, then yeah, it's becoming unconditional. So my 50-50 probability of a change at this, you know, this meeting aside that I was talking about, right? Let me just reiterate my core, my actual core view of what I believe to be the Bank of Japan's long-term policy path and their objectives or their agenda, okay? Or rather the Bank of Japan situation. I don't want to use terms like agenda or objectives because that basically implies some degree of like freedom of choice that they get to exercise on. So from the very first episode of Market Depth, the inaugural episode, and then countless times since, but I started this whole show by laying out my big picture view of the Bank of Japan's long-term policy path, which is that the Bank of Japan will ultimately never stop 
its easing measures and heavy-handed intervention into the government bond market. Sure, they may attempt to tweak yield curve control here or there, or just get rid of it altogether, but it will just be replaced by something else that performs the same basic function. Just It'll just be repackaged and renamed and rebranded, but that basic function is to fund government expenditures, which is a fiscal situation that is far more imminently and measurably unsustainable than the Bank of Japan's monetary measures and direct government bond market intervention, right? Everyone says like, oh, it's so unsustainable what they're doing. Yeah, I agree, but that's very arbitrary for us to just draw some line in the sand. But what is actually immediately and measurably unsustainable is the fiscal state of the government, okay? So here's a clip from episode number one of the Market Depth Podcast from March of this year. So much so that in the course of this past decade under Corona, the BOJ now finds itself in a position where there is no turning back, regardless of who's at the helm. The Bank of Japan's policy is no longer run by the personnel. Rather, the personnel are being run by the policy. You can't unwind 500 trillion yen long JGB portfolio into something that you've destroyed that no longer exists as a market. Um, you can't let borrowing costs increase to fair value of the world's most indebted uh, nation as measured by debt GDP. With a demographic picture that points to increased debt burden and increasing deficits, and although Kuroda's tenure may be over, it really doesn't matter for all intents and purposes because Kurodonomics doesn't just walk out the door in a cardboard box with his like highlighters and hole punchers. Kurodonomics is here to stay, and the incoming governor Ueda will inherit the current status that the BOJ is in is not an etch-a-sketch pad that you just shake, okay? Um, again, BOJ policy runs the personnel, not the other way around. So this is not the end of an era, okay? It might be the symbolic end of, uh, end of an era, but, you know, an era that carries on. Okay, policy runs the personnel and not the other way around. And Kurodonomics is here to stay in the long run. So far, hasn't left. I mean, I know we're only two meetings in, but hasn't left. So my advice to Bank of Japan Governor Ueda is that you need to tell ECB President Lagarde, we, Japan... We are not here to close spreads. This, this, is, this is not the function or the mission. There are other tools for that, and there are other actors to actually deal with those issues. But at the end of the day, regardless of what the ECB or any other central bank or government is relying on the Bank of Japan um, and Japanese investors for, ultimately, the Bank of Japan cannot just ditch its role in the JGB market. Okay, The government cannot afford for them to not be in the JGB market. And here's, once again, this graphic of the Bank of Japan clearly monetizing government debt. Now, I thought that Ueda might try this time to change policy, to tweak policy, right? Just because it'll be a very long five-year tenure to go 50 more meetings, policy unchanged. But the fact that they didn't, even under these conditions, it does say a lot. And I think that these broad consensus calls for BOJ to start exiting its yield curve control and JGB buying in 2023 that's happening from both domestic Japanese investors as well as foreign investors, I think that they're missing a big hint from this June meeting. Um, again, the Bank of Japan can and likely will try something at some point, but if and when that blows up other sovereign bond markets, then one of two things will happen. Either the Bank of Japan will immediately revert back to yield curve control, 
or the Bank of Japan will just have handed off the baton for once and it will be that other country and their central bank's turn to do yield curve control for the rest of the world. All right, so that's it for me. Thank you for following Market Depth. On behalf of Blockworks Macro, my name is Wes Nakamura. We will see you soon. Thanks. Bye.